You're listening to Simple Ritz Radio, episode number 177, and today we're talking about how to raise healthy eaters. Welcome to Simple Roots Radio with Alexa Sherm. Alexa believes that simplicity in life is the key to achieving true and lasting health. And now your host, Alexa Sherm. Welcome back to this podcast. As always, my name's Alexa, and this is a place to get healthy, live happy, and find more joy. Today, we're talking about one subject that I am super passionate about, and I think it's one that we really haven't touched on here at Simperoids Radio, but today we're talking specifically about how do we raise a generation of healthy eaters. Now, if you don't have children, that's totally fine. This might give some indication as to why your food patterns are the way that they are. I think it's important to go back and look at our past and how we were raised with food because that gives us an idea of how we eat now. And sometimes we can't fix our now without understanding the why of how this was created. It's kind of like healing your inner child, but only for food. So if you don't have children, listen to this because you're going to get an understanding of what is actually important in raising healthy eaters and maybe some reasons that we've gone wrong and the generations that we've raised. Now, no fault to that. I understand that there have been times when life has been really hard and the mindset to clean your plate was very necessary. But for most of us today, that is actually a really damaging mindset and one that most people really work to get away from. Anyways, so today we're going to break down how to raise healthy eaters. I'm going to set the stage for some boundaries that I think that we should all follow and then just give you some general ideas about how you can create your own food environment with your children, create those expectations that you can all do this together. Okay. I hope this is really helpful for you. I know it's something that I really focus on here without my children ever knowing, but this is really, really important. It's more important to me than what they're actually putting inside their bodies is just generating a healthy relationship with food because in that healthy relationship, they're going to be able someday to grow into eating well and nourishing their body in the right way rather than me just forcing it down their throats right now only for them, maybe possibly someday for them to leave it. So I really just would rather right now develop a healthy relationship with food and their body to understand and listen to that rather than just force so many rules upon them. Because let's be honest, we live in a rules-based society and it is not always fun. And we are all rebellious at heart. I don't care who you are. We all have a little rebellion inside of us that makes so many rules so difficult and we just want to overcome that. So today I'm going to be breaking down those things. And then next week, I have an interview with an expert on raising healthy eaters. She's developed some ideas and some simple solutions to help get your kids more involved in nutrition and in the eating process. And then I'm going to finish up with a bonus episode. And this bonus episode is just simply how I want to teach my kids and how I want to teach you to look at our bodies and look at this process of nourishing. Because I believe it's more than just feeding our bodies, but it really boils down to the nourishing aspect. So stay tuned for all of that as we do the short little series on raising healthy eaters. Before we get there though, I just wanna remind you to head on over to simperitswellness.com over there, the start of the school year is here, and I'm sharing a bunch of lunchbox hacks, things that I love to feed my kids and just giving you all the resources I can to help make this process so much easier. 
And I'm also gonna share our food rules to live by here in this house. They aren't what you think, but they really just help create a safe and nurturing environment at home where my kids can eat and learn about their bodies. So head on over to the show notes where I'm gonna give those away in a blog post. I won't be telling them here just simply because we don't have time. And I don't wanna taint what you take away from this to make it your own because that's really what matters. So head on over to the show notes, simpleitswellness.com backslash 177 to get all the information on today's show as well as our food rules that we live by. Okay, but today let's get right to the show because today we're talking about raising healthy eaters and this subject has never been more important. I feel like in this world of nutrition, we have become more and more confused and that confusion is just being passed down from generation to generation. Our kids notice our confusion and our chaos with food and they really do recognize that and it does have an effect on them. So I'm gonna just go back to the basics and say, what does it mean to raise a healthy eater? One great resource that I would recommend that people grab or just pick up at the library to read, it's called Secrets of Feeding a Healthy Family, How to Eat, How to Raise Good Eaters, and How to Cook by Ellen Satter. It's a great book, like I said, where I've learned that this is really where this information stemmed from. It's one of the only college books that I've kept, uh, and it has been really foundational in just how I approach nutrition in general. But she states at the start of the book, the secret to feeding a healthy family is to love good foods, trust yourself, and share the love and trust with your child. And I think that is just the the quick and easy summary of what it means to raise healthy eaters. It's to love good foods and trust yourself so much so that you can pass that on to your children. Nothing more, nothing less. That is it. Simple as that, right? While it does sound simple, it's a lot harder to implement based on all of these food rules and confusion that we have going on in our mind. So let's just break that down because the reality is, is the eating process is quite complex, although it's not something that we should really focus on the complexity, but we should just be able to break it down into a simplistic, here it is, this is exactly what we need to do, and no. But eating in itself is a complex thing, and in fact, it includes things like food preference, habits, attitudes, intuition, knowledge, and physical necessity. And all six of those things must be considered and also must be enjoyed to develop this food competence or food confidence, which really both are two in the same, right? So we have to have some idea of food preference. We have to have some idea of healthy habits, of healthy attitudes around food, of a healthy intuition, of really listening to the body and the body awareness, of knowledge based in nutrition and on our body, and just knowing our physical necessity to nourish our body. All six of those are necessary so and can just sit here and say, this is what's going to work, enjoyed, or this isn't what's going to work, is a really a difficult thing. Experience. Because inside of our culture, it really forms the whole of how we consume food. Whether it's from a religious standpoint, whether it's from a, just a cultural standpoint and how generations have passed down food ideas or food traditions from one generation to another. But there's also this connection with our bodies that changes from person to person and the commitment to life itself. So there's this whole complex nature that it's this life scope to eating that really the foundation and pleasure of life and a social aspect of life can be found at the dinner table or at restaurants, right? Around food is often where people gather together. 
But what I think one huge disconnect that we make in the diet culture is that we think eating is simply to feed, right? That there's, we eat, but there's implications on the other side. And it's not eating for pleasure or eating for enjoyment anymore. It's simply eating and managing the numbers so it doesn't get out of hand, right? Eating has become a very negative thing, where in the past cultures, it has been a very positive thing. It was where families came together at the end of the day. It's where they spent their time. People actually enjoyed that. And I think it's important that we can find a space to get back around the dinner table. Because the bottom line in all of this is that meals are essential for nurturing just as much as they are for nourishment. And that is really critical to know because like I said, I think so often we eat to feed rather than eating for nourishment and nurturing. And that's really where the scope of healthy eating comes into play. To recognize that eating is not just for nourishment alone, but it's the whole aspect of nurturing, of nurturing relationships, of nurturing your social environment, of nurturing your culture. All of these things come together and that's really what creates this confidence in eating. So if we just go back to the research, we know that in adults, researchers show that meals support us in eating what is good for us, maintaining desirable body weight, and supporting positive health indicators. Even more, children and adolescents who have regular family meals do better in all ways, nutritionally, academically, socially, emotionally, and with respect to avoidance of overweight, eating disorders, drug abuse, and early sexual behaviors. Family meals have more to do with positive outcomes for children and adolescents than any other factor. Extracurricular activities, church, tutoring, music lessons, you name it. Mealtime is the most essential thing in raising not just a healthy eater, but a healthy individual. I mean, the research is really mind-boggling to know just how much sitting down even for 20 or 30 minutes every single day, once a day, with your family can make on the health of a child, not just nutritionally speaking, but in all areas of their life. There is a safety, this nurturing aspect that children desperately need, even more than the nourishment itself, that creates a healthy, safe, and loving environment as they grow up. Now, we just talked all about the mindset series, and really what it boils down to is that eating is just as much as a mind game as it is a nourishing aspect. Now, I don't want to dig into that or have us focus on that because I think so often we feast on the wrong things, and children are really good about not doing this. They just know that they want to eat because their bodies are physically hungry, and they want to do it in a safe and confident environment, but too often we've made food or the act of eating this overwhelming food fight that is so unnecessary. So when I get into these requirements, I just want to forewarn you. This might go against everything you ever thought, and it might go against everything you've ever parented. And I don't mean this in any harm, but I really do see that there's a lot of unnecessary food fights happening. And I think that we were creating unhealthy eaters just simply based off that. The reason I say this is, is like things like forcing your child to eat or cleaning their plate, those fights can go on for hours. And the reason is, is that the act of eating is one of the first independent skills children learn. And given that they have an unlimited amount of time, correct? Like what else do they have to do but fight you on this? What we know is that if we don't give children the independence to eat how much they want to eat... And in some regard, what they want to eat, a food fight will ensure, and the children will fight this and fight this. And in fact, it will create more what we would call picky eaters. 
So we have to be careful about this, about this food fight. And we, instead, I really want you to focus on food competence. And what is this idea of food competence? It really is essentially this food confidence that people eat to nourish their body. They're very self-aware. And in fact, despite the principles of eating, food competence says nothing about what or how much to eat. And people with a high eating competence are healthier medically, physically, and even emotionally and are more consistent about taking care of themselves with food. If we take out worrying about the what and the how much, it opens the door to the environment aspect of how we approach the eating environment and what that looks like, knowing that is really what's going to make the difference metabolically speaking, biologically speaking, mentally speaking, all of those reasons. It's not in the how or the what. It really is in the environment, the where, the when. Those things matter so much more. And I know this is hard to grasp, but I really want you to stop and think about this for a second, to stop and just put this into practice in in your head, like just run this through your mind. What if you stopped worrying so much about what your kids ate and how much they ate and you just started to create a positive environment around the food that you did serve? You gave them more space to listen to their body, to be open with it, to eat what they wanted and how much they wanted. I mean, obviously within reason, and we're going to talk about that for a second, but Really, and in our house, one thing that we never do is we never force our children to eat. We, if they, sometimes they will come to the dinner table and they will not touch a single piece of food. And it does still take everything in me not to say, you need to try your food or you need to eat your food. But sometimes they are just physiologically not hungry. And I think that there is an awareness that we have lost as adults that we no longer can determine when we're actually hungry and when we're actually full, that when food's present, we just think that we need to eat it because that's what we need to do. But kids are so remarkable in this and that they are just so in tune and aware of their body's biological signals that if they sit down at the table and they are not hungry, why force that? Why, why put food in their bodies when their bodies are not needing it? I mean, take for instance a baby. When we talk about self-awareness, right? If you've ever fed a baby a bottle and they're full, right? What are they going to do with the bottle? They just push it around in their mouth. They might spit out the milk. Like you can't technically overfeed a baby. Like they're going to stop at some point and you cannot continue to force food in their bodies. On the other hand, when they're hungry, they can go from zero to a hundred in what seems like two seconds. And again, that's just their intuitive hunger signals, right? They're so in tune with their bodies. They know exactly what they need and not an ounce more. And they follow through with that. As adults, we kind of know when we're hungry, but in a different breath, we really don't, right? Like we eat because we think it's time to eat or because it's socially acceptable to eat or we have the cleaner plates because that's what we've been taught or why waste food. We have all these other ideas that override our actual biological self-awareness signals or biofeedback signals and it causes a lot of harm. So I think it's really important that we just feed into the self-awareness of a child and stop focusing so much on how much they eat because they'll always eat enough. Like no child with free access to food has ever starved. You might question it, especially if you play the food fight. I've seen parents who will refuse to give in to their child's eating habits and their child will refuse to give in to their parents' eating habits. I've seen children go a long time without food, just simply playing the food fight. That's okay. They aren't going to starve. With free access to food, no child will ever starve. 
So we just have to be careful, though, that we're not so hung up in this idea that we have to force them to eat when they're biologically not hungry, because that's going to set them up for failure in adulthood and be the very thing that maybe you're struggling with. Maybe you're struggling with the idea of eating less food just simply because your body doesn't need as much as you're eating or not cleaning your plate or eating at the set times throughout the day. So we a lot of the things we struggle with were just birthed in us because of food rules that were imposed upon us. I feel like I'm really rambling here, um, and I'm probably trying to fit too much into this podcast, but let's go back to it. So we know the research. We know that a healthy eating environment is one of the most critical things for the health of a child overall in all areas of life. Their IQ is going to be better. They're more likely to go on to be successful in life, all these things, right? But the trouble is, is that I really believe that the trouble comes in is because as adults, we're so confused. We're so anxious around food and upset that we just push that onto our children unknowingly. I know you don't mean to do this, but it happens when we're confused about what to eat or what to serve our kids or we're anxious ourselves around food. Maybe we're on another diet and our kids aren't, you know, we're not eating the same foods as we're feeding our kids. Our kids are very, very aware of that. They're recognizing what you're doing and they're feeding off of that. They're learning from you more than anything else, right? That's what kids do is they learn from other people. They mimic behaviors. And so your kids are watching you. What you do is the number one indicator of what your child will grow up to do or to become. Frightening, of course. But my biggest rule across the board, and I don't mean to talk about rules because we're trying to break those down, but don't expect your child to do anything that you're not doing. I think this is really important and maybe give you some motivation to eat a little bit healthier yourself, but your kids are watching you and most likely they're only going to try new foods if they see you eating it because they recognize safety based on what you're doing, right? They're perceiving life based on what they see other people doing. And if they're presented with a new food or vegetables, for instance, and they don't see you eating those, I think it's unfair to expect them to eat what you will not eat. It's, again, a a mindset for them and how unconsciously they're keeping their bodies safe. If mom and dad aren't doing this, it must not be safe for me either. And you can play the food fight all day, but it is hypocritical. I mean, just to be a little bit harsh there, but don't expect your children to do what you will not do or what you will not eat. And they will recognize this. So take note of that. And, and again, I think it comes back to our children are only as healthy as we are going to be. So if we're not healthy with this idea of food or with feeding our bodies, if we're confused about it, they're going to be confused about it. So more than just coming up with a set of rules on how to feed your kids well or me teaching you some ways that you can actually feed your kids in a healthy way, I think the most important thing and the only thing that matters is that you have a healthy view and relationship with food yourself. If that is not the case, then I think you need to pause this podcast and we need to go back to the drawing board and work on you. Because in fixing you, you will naturally fix your children without having to do a single thing because they are watching you. So take for instance, sometimes my kids are unsure of the foods that I make. Fair, right? All kids are a little unsure of anything new. And that's a fair assumption. A lot of times adults are as well, right? We very rarely try new things ourselves. And so to expect kids to try a world of new things all the time is, again, another unrealistic expectation. But one thing I've noticed is that when I make something and I teach you how I make foods that 
my kids can have a preference and kind of put it together on their own, start to develop this flavor profile of their own and pick foods that they like and keep it in a safe way. But one thing I've noticed is that when I layer my foods in certain ways that are maybe a little bit different than how they've done it, they will take notice of my food. And then they'll be like, hey, can I try that? And, and see, they're, they're taking notice of something new. Uh, it looks different. Uh, or there's something new. I'm not sure about it, but I see you eating it and liking it. So can I try a bite of that? And sometimes, I'm not kidding you, I will make something for them that they think that they want. And mine is very similar, but maybe slightly different. They will come over and devour my food and leave theirs, right? So sometimes they just need to know and see and learn and grow based on what you're doing over than just their kind of narrow view of what food is. Because remember, they're young, they're growing, they're learning, they've only seen so much. And really, they've only experienced what you've experienced or what you've opened the door to experience. So be creative, be healthy yourself. If if you feel like you are out of control of food yourself, we cannot expect our kids to do that. And I think it's not important to focus on them until you focus on yourself. But if you have... If you're working on it, if you're setting healthy boundaries at home, that is the best thing that you can do. The second thing is just to feed into their awareness. They are very aware of their body's needs, especially at the early ages. This is like kids who are just starting out babies and toddlers. I very much love baby-led weaning because it allows them to pick up food and be independent with it. Remember, one of our first independent skills we learn as humans is the act of eating. And so kids really very much want to take this into their own hands and be independent with it. And so giving them space to do that, um, like I said, allowing them to pick up their foods and try new foods, even from like very early on. Um, And then as they grow, honing into that awareness and not forcing them to eat when they're not hungry. And what you'll notice is that there'll be weeks or seasons of life where it feels like they're eating nothing, (laughs) My younger two do this all the time. Like they'll go through a month where it seems like, oh my gosh, you haven't eaten anything. You almost look like you're a little slimming down a little bit. And then they'll go through a month period where they're like high school boys trapped in this 30 pound body, right? And so they they really fluctuate. And I think that's how the human body was intended to work because our calorie count is not consistent day in and day out like the world tells us, right? It's very drastically different based on seasons, based on our immune system, based on our activity level. Like there's so many things that come into play and our the amount of calories that we need or energy we need is very different from day to day by thousands of calories sometimes. And our kids are no different. Sometimes they're not growing. Sometimes Um, they're just kind of at a maintenance phase and they don't need as much food. Other times their bodies are going to take off and grow and they need all of this food. Sometimes they need more carbs and sometimes they need more fat. And if we allow them to do this in a natural and a healthy setting, you will really find that they are really great about feeding their bodies what they need. So just allow that to happen. Again, feed into their self-awareness, allow them to make choices in how much they want to eat, of course, within reason. And we're going to talk about that because they can learn to play you a little bit in this. Um, But again, allowing that self-awareness to come into the picture and teaching them about self-awareness. This is really important to me. And you can start this at any age, but I've started it young with my kids, is I don't so much focus on what they eat because I think that they have to make their own decisions, right? Especially when they get into school, they're going to eat things that I don't buy at home. Like that's just the reality. When they go to friends' houses and birthday parties, they're just exposed to food. And my idea is not to take away 
that privilege or not to take away that food because the idea of restriction is so damaging to us and that lasts a lifetime. But instead of saying you can't eat that, let's talk about how food makes us feel, not just in situations where we ate a lot of bad food, which is a great time to talk about it, but even when we're at the dinner table, I'm like, wow, these vegetables are super healthy. This is going to give our bodies energy. Energy. It's going to help us grow big and strong. You know, as my daughter gets older, then we can start talking about like, hey, you're going to be presented at the birthday party with a lot of foods that we don't normally eat. I just want you to be aware that they might not make you feel as well. And so maybe we should have something to eat before you go, or maybe you should eat less of it, or just, you know, you be your own judge. But just remember, food has an impact on your body. Or when they're feeling bad because they overindulged in something, then I can come alongside and say, like, I know that tastes really good, um, but it doesn't make your bodies feel good. And sometimes we have to listen to our bodies more than our taste buds and know, is there another option that I like just as much that doesn't make my body feel bad, but that I can actually enjoy it? Because I think sometimes they enjoy the taste just like we do, but they don't so much enjoy the consequence. (laughs) Um, And so teaching them that food is having a direct impact on their body, whether good or bad. And it's not that we have to avoid all bad foods, but I think it's in focusing on the good that they start to learn how well they feel in that. And I think that's, again, something that we can do as adults to recognize that it's less about just the nutrition aspect and it's more about the nourishing aspect of our body. And again, we want them to develop eating competence. And so it's less about telling them what they need to do, and it's more about teaching them. I think that's the big focus that we have to get involved in is teaching and teaching and loving and caring and creating safe environments and showing them and be leading by example and less about telling them what they should do. Because in my world, telling my children what they should do has never worked well, right? Um, And so we really try to stay away from that. But I think in the end, for all of us, for our kids and ourselves, I think it's important to have healthy boundaries. And I've set some specific healthy boundaries for our family that I'm going to link up in the show notes, like I said. But just some ideas of some healthy boundaries I think it's important for us to set as parents for our children, but also for ourselves, again, leaning by examples, is one, what time mealtimes are. I don't think that this world of snacking is doing anything positive for ourselves or for our kids. I think it's important to recognize that our family has mealtimes. You can eat what you want and how much you want at those meals, but we're going to save eating for mealtime. Now, when our kids are growing, this is a little bit trickier because they do need more food. And if they're really hungry, I especially notice this after school when maybe they haven't had as much to eat at lunch as they normally would at home, that they do need a snack once in a while. But again, it's not a snack on the go. We just constantly eat wherever we are. It's let's make a plate of food and sit down and eat it. Now, do we do that perfectly? Absolutely not. But I think that there is some room to say like, okay, here are mealtimes and I want you to come to the table hungry. And I think a lot of food fights are just happening because our kids are sitting down, not hungry. (laughs) Maybe you're sitting down, not really hungry. You're going to eat it because you're an adult. But when our kids aren't hungry, Nothing seems appetizing to them, and they will put up a food fight for you. So making sure that they're coming to mealtime hungry and knowing that our tummies can be a little bit hungry, that's okay. That's just a sign that it's almost time to eat, and we're going to look forward to the food that we do get to eat. Another thing that we can do with feeding boundaries is that we can be in charge of what we purchase for the house. 
So when I say that my kids have full range of options of you can choose what you want to eat. Now, if I make a meal at supper time, I'm not going to make multiple meals. Like this is what we're eating. I generally like to have their idea so that I know that most of the kids or most of the family members in the house are going to like this meal. Does that always happen? Absolutely not. But I do try to always have a safe food at the dinner table. So whether it's a vegetable that they like or a side dish that they like, or we just give them the option of like, hey, there's oatmeal that you can make or um, a peanut butter and jelly. Like You have an option. So if you really don't like it, like we would prefer you try it to make sure. If you don't like it or this isn't your food preference, that's fine. Let's find something that you do like, something easy. I don't make another meal, but we always do have safe options in the house that they can go and get. But again, we are in control of what's brought into the house. And we can't expect our kids not to eat food or junk food that we bring into the house, right? Naturally, every human loves junk food and sugar. So we can't expect that if it's in our house, if we've brought it in ourselves, we can't tell them they can't have that, right? Like that that's an unfair expectation that we're placing on them, especially if you're going to eat it after they go to bed. So we need to be aware that if we bring it in the house, I think it's fair game for everyone to be able to choose whether they eat that or not. So I think we have to have more boundaries in what we do bring into the house. And then when we're outside of the house, knowing that there's a lot more things outside of our control, and then we just teach our children to make the best choices based on that. Number three is, again, expectations. Sometimes we just have to let go of the expectations that our kids are going to be fed perfectly 100% of the time. This is not going to happen. And the expectation that it's going to look the same for their entire childhood is also much different because I can tell you that my younger children do not eat nearly as well as my older child and I can't expect them to. They're at different seasons of life. They're growing at different rates. Like there's a lot of differences happening. So I kind of have to throw out the expectations that every time I make a delicious meal, my kids are going to sit down and love it and eat it. It's unrealistic and most of the time, 90% of the time, there's always someone at the table who does not like what was served. That's fine. It's not worth blowing up about or being angry about. My husband always says, well, great, more for me then, right? Like, put the positive twist on this. They're growing. They're learning. They're going to fight it at some point. Someone always is in our house. But it's not a hill that we die on with our kids. It's just something that we just let go. Okay, you have a safe option, but no. Like one of our rules is that there's no food served after dinner. Like supper time, this is it. So if you're hungry, you need to find something that you will eat. If you're not hungry, that's fine. Bedtime is around the corner and and we will go to bed. But we kind of have some stricter rules about that. Occasionally we will have like popcorn if we're doing movie night or something like that. But for the most cases... We do remind them that food is, this is the last chance for food today. And it just makes them more aware of, okay, I'm, I'm really hungry, so I probably should eat something, or I'm really not that hungry, I'm fine, I'm done. So kind of getting over expectations. And then number four is do not expect children to finish their plates. Like if I could beg you to do anything, it would be this. Because I can tell you in the hundreds and hundreds of people that I have personally consulted, Food rules that were established in childhood are food rules we are dealing with today, 100% of the time. And so if you force your children to clean their plates, you're going to fight a big fight right now, but someday they're going to fight an internal fight that is so hard to overcome. And that is this need to override every biological system in their body to just feed it. 
Not to feed to nourish, but just to feed because that's what you're supposed to do. So don't expect your children to finish their plate. When they're done, they're done. Let them be done. They have to learn about their hunger and fullness signals and making it to the next meal. That can be painful at some times, but really they do this quite well because it's so natural for them. So don't require your kids to finish their plates. I think it's really, really unhealthy or even forcing their kids to eat food. And one thing I know is that in children, the more we force them to eat foods that they do not like or force them to eat when they are not hungry, you will create picky eaters. The more food freedom that you give your children, the more likely they are to develop their palate on their own because it's a safe environment. So again, pick your battles. Like, the reality is, is that we're all going to have different taste preferences, Our hunger signals are all going to change, right? Like we're not all going to be starving at the same time. Some days I'm not very hungry and my kids are starving. So we're all a little bit different. I like different things than my husband likes. Like our taste preferences aren't all the same and we can't expect our kids' taste preferences to be the exact same as ours. In fact, they tend to be more sensitive. Kids have a great palate. They taste things in a more enhanced way than we ever will. And so we have to be aware that sometimes they just simply don't like a food and that's okay. We have to honor and respect their preferences just as much as we have to honor and respect our own. So a few things that you can do is one, lean into their awareness. Again, Let them be self-aware. Let them know their own hunger cues and play off of that. We are not responsible for that. It is their body, and we have to respect and honor that. Number two is keep mealtime a safe place. This can be hard, but some things that we try not to do is we try not to discipline at the table. We try not to bring up negative behaviors at the table. We try not to argue between my husband and I at the table, we try to make eating time a safe, healthy, enjoyable time because the more we enjoy that, right? Eating is supposed to be a pleasurable, nurturing thing just as much as it's supposed to be a nourishing thing. And so we need to create that safe environment. So make sure that the dinner table is a fun, happy place to be. It's a place your kids want to gather and come to because we know that kids who eat a meal, just one meal, with their family at a dinner table can make all the difference in not only their friendships, but their behaviors, their IQ, how well they do in school, and success for the rest of their life. I think this is one thing that my parents did so well for us is that we always had family meals. It didn't have to be anything spectacular. I'm not even sure what we ate. We were never forced to clean our plates. We were never forced to eat what was on the table. But I also don't remember not eating it. Like it wasn't a food fight. Like it was just there. We were hungry when we showed up. We sat down, we enjoyed it, and we ate as a family. Like this made such a huge difference because I don't have the food rules mentality. Like I don't have this negative mentality around food that so many people have. And I think it's a direct relation to the freedom that my parents gave us in choosing what we ate and how much we ate. So again, number two, keep mealtime a safe place. Number three, lead by example. Again, you cannot expect your children to do something you will not do yourself. So lead by example. Get yourself healthy before you can get your kids healthy. Number four is make mealtime a priority. Kids know when it's chaos, when you're just flying by the seat of your pants, you're trying to get a meal on the table, but no one's really sitting down together to eat it. Make it a priority. Set a time. This is the time we eat dinner or make sure everyone knows at least that day, hey, tonight dinner's at 530. 
Um, it doesn't have to be something spectacular. Like I said, maybe you're going to pick up something at the grocery store, like a rotisserie chicken and some chopped salad. I don't know what it is, but it doesn't have to be spectacular. It just has to be there. The kids don't care. You really don't care. <laughs> and remember, even if it's not the most healthy of food, sitting down at the table makes all the difference in how your body is digesting that and absorbing that and using that. It does change the health of you just simply by being at the table. It sounds crazy and absurd, but I promise you there is a difference. We have to come back to the table. Number five is don't let them get the best of you. They will fight and they will argue. And even if it's a food that you thought they liked, all of a sudden they don't like it anymore. It's not a hill worth dying on. It is not a battle worth fighting. Let them be. They will pick at you. They will poke at you. They might complain. That's okay. As long as they know that there's a safe option and the more that you give them space to do this, the more that you uh, let them be, you stop fighting these battles, eventually the battles don't even arise. We still fight them with their younger kids. Our older daughter has eventually learned that picking and poking at mom um, to make their five-course meal that they need every single night is not going to work. Remember, it's fine if they don't like it, but there's a safe option there. Try to keep mealtime consistent so that they know it's going to happen, they know when it's going to happen, and they can expect it. Um, What you serve doesn't matter as much as that, the fact that you just sit down at the table. And remember, our children's taste preferences are going to change just as ours do. I mean, as adults, they're a little bit more set in stone, but kids' tastes are constantly changing. Like one week, my kids will love avocados and the next week they don't like them as much, right? So it kind of vacillates back and forth. And I see this with a lot of different foods. One week they love spaghetti, the next week they hate it. Um, So it kind of changes. Don't let them get the best of you. This is all a part of their growing and their learning and their changing. Like we just have to be aware of that and just let it go. There's always a safe option. They'll probably come back to loving it someday if we just give them the space to learn and to grow on their own. And another thing is, is that few children are actually picky eaters. I believe that we make them picky eaters. There are some picky eaters, and I don't want to get into that today, but there are some horribly picky eaters out there, and I believe it's more of something that they were born with rather than um, something that they grew into. But I think it goes back to their taste preferences, their palate, how their taste buds are. Um, Like I said, I'm not going to get into it much, but we do have to be aware that there are some extremely picky eaters. And again, we have to trust and listen and respect them in some levels in order for them to heal through that. But going back to the tips, number six is give them independence. Let them choose the foods that they want to put on their plates. Sometimes when they were younger, we did a no thank you serving. So meaning that They got to choose what they wanted to eat based on the foods that I had made, but if they didn't like it, I still asked them, at least when they were younger, to put it on their plate because sometimes it takes us seeing that food over and over and over again for us to be willing to try that food. In fact, it takes anywhere from 17 to 19 times of viewing that food for kids to actually pick it up and try it for it to become a safe item. So we used to do this no thank you option of, okay, that's fine that you don't want to eat it, but just put it on your plate anyways. If you don't want it, that's fine. We'll, we'll get rid of it later, but just add it. So again, teaching them that food is not scary. It can be on their plate, even if they don't eat it and they can just let it go. So there's a lot of lessons in that, but that's something that we used to do. Now we don't, but I still give them the option of choosing what they want to eat. 
And so just a tip on this and how I cook food, a lot of times I'm cooking food in layers. So what I mean by that, like when we have tacos, there's taco bowls or tortilla shells so they can make actual tacos. They can put it on a salad. They can make rice bowls with it. So we're trying to cook foods that have lots of different layers to them, basic ingredients that they can just keep piling on top until they get the flavor profile that they like. I mean, yes, I do some casseroles, you could say. I haven't had as much success with them because there's always something in it my kids don't like. But I found in this teaching that the more times that I can just have them layer their foods together, they're not only learning about flavor profiles and how to flavor different foods, but also a little aspect of how to cook different things because they're putting it together. They're starting to see it come together and they have more pride in that. So I do like the aspect of letting them serve themselves from a very early age to put it on their plate, there's that independent skill that they are looking for. So they put it on their plate themselves. They get to layer it together. They can mix it together. They can leave it separate. Whatever they want to do, like creating the food independence based on the foods that I've served really does help so much more. Even if it's just, here's three different salad dressing options, you get a pick. Like little independent things starting from the younger years all the way up until they're older can make all of the difference because you wouldn't like it if you went to a restaurant and they're like, oh, we only have one dressing and it's blue cheese and you hate blue cheese, right? You would not like that either. So we, we want options and our kids want options and we have to be willing to give those to them. Number seven is that kids really do love flavor. Don't fall into the trap that kids just love bland, boring foods like chicken nuggets and french fries. Yes, they probably do love those things and that's fine, but don't discount that they also love flavor. So don't just serve them boring food. Give them lots of options and let them experiment with flavor. You might learn how much they actually enjoy food that has more flavor. Plus, flavor helps fill people up. It actually is a satiety mechanism for our body. And so flavor is going to help you just as much as it is them. Number eight, get them involved in the kitchen. And this is what we're going to talk about next week in that interview that I have coming out. But let them help you. Let them help pick meal plans or food ideas. When I go to the grocery store, I usually ask, hey, is there anything you want me to pick up? What sounds good for your lunch this week? Do you have any supper ideas? I mean, you don't always have to buy into what they want, but just knowing that there is a food or a meal that they picked on the menu really opens them up to trying the other foods that maybe their sister, their siblings, or I pick for them, right? Like, hey, they had some responsibility in this menu they kind of approved of it. They're looking forward to that. And they can also look forward to the other things. So I try to get them involved as much as I can. Is it messy to have kids in the kitchen? Absolutely. So maybe you just start by helping them plan things. But then other times, like let your kids start using knives and chopping things, which you're like, this is really bad advice, Alexa. Maybe it is. But help, let them help mix things up. I know the pancakes that we make so many mornings for breakfast, my five ingredient protein pancakes, My youngest loves to make those. And the more often that they make or help make foods, the more likely they are to eat those. So again, giving them freedom in the kitchen, starting to teach them tasks, or just letting them help make plans for for what they want to eat can really help this process. Number nine is encourage and motivate. Don't put down, don't tell them what they shouldn't be doing. Don't tell them that they need to eat more healthy foods because of X, Y, and Z, right? Only use positive reinforcement, motivation. We all know that there is going to be a time in life when we have negative ideas based on food, whether it's because of our body, the way we look, or 
whether it's because we're starting to learn food rules from diets and the food industry, right now in your house in a safe place is not the time and the place to enforce food rules that the diet industry has posed upon us. It's not okay. Our kids don't need to know it and it will set them up for a lifetime of struggle. What we need right now is positive encouragement. Hey, I'm so glad that you tried that food. How, what did you think of it? Maybe they didn't like it. That's okay. You might like it next time. You know, like just a positive reinforcement. Does this always go well? No. But the less we focus on their bodies and how they look and the food that we eat and the more we focus on just how do you feel, that can change so much. So again, encourage and motivate. And number 10, learn from them. I think kids are amazing and what their bodies can tell them and how they listen. Like so often I'm like, wow, that is so cool that you could just stand up from your plate and leave half a cookie there and not eat it because you're full, right? Like it's amazing what our bodies can do and what we've lost. So you can really just go back and start to learn from your kids and their behaviors and start to recognize that food isn't this whole emotional response into this confusion and anxiety spiral. Like food to them is a place to have fun and to relate and to grow close with their family and just really to nourish and nurture their body. That is what eating is to kids and that is what we need to go back to. Okay, this is a really long-winded podcast. I gave you so much information and I know it can be overwhelming, but like I said, over on the blog, I'm going to be writing out or in the show notes, I'm going to be writing out our five quick food rules that we've lived by. These aren't even rules that we have to really enforce anymore because our kids are beyond it. Like these are things we instill early on um, and they've worked through it. But again, I think it really comes back to if you are not healthy, your kids will not be. Like, if you are not healthy, more than likely your kids will not be either. We cannot expect our children to do what we are not doing. We have to lead by example. The best way to raise healthy eaters is to be one yourself. And if you are not, or if you feel like you're not, be here, stay here. This is all we do, right? Is talking about getting back to simple health, about nourishing and nurturing your body, which just goes on to nourish and nurture other people. So stick around. I promise you, I want to help you on this journey so desperately. And in you being healthy, you will raise healthy eaters. So stay positive. Stay encouraged. You are doing this. It's not easy and it's not going to be perfect. Trust me, my kids eat a lot of stuff that you would probably be floored by. But it's okay because we're learning and we're growing and we're teaching them in the process. And that's real life. Because in real life, their worlds are not absent of all pop and candy and cake and Uh, crackers and gluten and whatever it is, right? The real world is, is that food's all around. And at some point, they're going to have to choose how they nourish their bodies. And I just want to help them know they can listen to their bodies and they can grow with that and use that for their benefit. Anyways, that's it for today. I know we dove into a lot. Like I said, next week on the show, I'm interviewing a special guest on getting kids back in the kitchen and helping them to really, again, develop these positive habits around food and this positive mindset around their body. So stay tuned for that. And then I'm breaking down a special little bonus episode talking about how we can get back to simple health and body image and what I think is important for kids to know. Anyways, I will see you back here next week. Don't forget to head to the show notes at simperitswellness.com backslash 177 for all the information on today's show. Also, check out the copy of Secrets of Feeding a Healthy Family by Ellen Satter. It's so good and definitely worth 
reading or just grabbing in your library. It will really walk you through this idea of food competence and really help you to uh, change your view of food and your kids. Anyways, that's it for today. Don't forget to tell other people about Simple Roots Radio. It is how the show continues on. I'm so grateful for you, and I thank you so much for sticking around. I will be back here next week with that special interview on getting kids back in the kitchen. 